Welcome to the 10 Frame, a podcast for emerging artists. Join your hosts, Kevin Kirkwood and Kelly Thompson, as they share conversations with artists, collectors, educators, and gallerists. Through these conversations, they explore the latest trends, techniques, and issues in the art world. To learn more about their individual work, please visit their Instagram profiles at Kevin Will Paint and at Kelly K. Thompson Art. In this episode, Kevin and Kelly interview Mike Stasny, a multidisciplinary artist based in Atlanta who holds a BFA from the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. Mike has exhibited his work in numerous solo and group shows across the United States. During the interview, Mike describes his unique approach to collaborating with city officials and building contractors, which enables him to activate events throughout Atlanta. He also talks about a couple of his recent installations. One at the Atlanta Contemporary and another where he shared the stage with Kevin at the Laney Contemporary in Savannah, Georgia. Learn more about Mike's work by visiting his Instagram account at extremely underscore Michael. I don't do many festivals or anything like that at the moment. Um, more like if you think about Imagine Fest or something like that, where there are all these crazy experiences that are generated for people um, that could only exist there they can't be in a museum or art gallery or any kind of experience that's associated with uh fine art with a capital fa right did you did you do something with that festival uh no i've been in talks with the people that work there it's been more on a practical thing i've had rentals of giant inflatables for those kind of spaces but it's something that people know um so yeah, I'm I'm not really in any kind of like scene necessarily like Burning Man people or anything like that, but uh I've done installs and setups all around and people know that I can kind of just figure out how to install the weird so that nobody gets hurt. So that pretty much means that it's drunk proof and kid proof. Um so yeah, I just kind of started finding spaces that needed to be activated and because of the hype of like Meow Wolf or Wynwood or lesser known places like uh, the City Museum in St. Louis, uh, it's kind of having a moment. So people understand it enough to allow it to happen right. uh, and pay me for it. So before we get too far down the road, what's how can people find you? Oh, uh, you can check me out on Instagram at uh, extremely underscore Michael. Uh, my space, when it comes down to the venue stuff, is called mom said it's fine i do have a website if you're so inclined which is www.mikestasny.com s-t-a-s-n-y as in new york right on so mike i know a lot of the the things that i've seen of your work um and actually goes back several years you have a lot of good um records of of your past um, installations a lot of it. Oh, that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, you know, once it's on the internet, you can never get rid of it. Um, it seems very fluid in that um, a lot of it, maybe, and I know it's 
the same the same with um, you know doing installation work at just about anywhere. It's it's temporary. Do you have anything right. in the area that's that's permanent that people can come see? I see. That's another thing that's interesting is when you you find what you're kind of good at. Uh, I've realized that everything that I do kind of comes from a fragile space. So usually I'm making things out of garbage or inexpensive materials. Mm-hmm. So they're usually up for a very temporary amount of time. I'd say the most permanent thing I have is the studio space so people can see things changing because it's hard to do long lasting things on a budget. Um, especially if you're using things like, you know, cardboard or plastic or something of that nature. So there's nothing I'd say that's a hundred percent like a brick and mortar sculpture that you can, you know, just walk up to now. You'd have to see me or see it documented on the internet. Right. Yeah. I've, I know there are several, um, sculptural pieces that kind of come from your taxidermy, um, background that are, it almost looked like they were made out of table legs or chair legs, (laughs) tall, thin, kind of anamorphous animal creature like things that I've seen in, in different air, different spaces. Are they, are those kind of structures or, or forms that you revisit on a regular basis? Yeah, the the thing with those is, um, so my grandfather was a taxidermist, so a lot of just thematic stuff within my work um, is based off of things that I was doing when I was a kid. So I guess the thing that makes me unique between the ages of like four and 11 was to be around odd shit uh, like dead animals uh, while seeing my grandfather work and how you bring a dead animal back to quote unquote life or turn into a taxidermy sculpture. Um, so I always thought it was really interesting how resourceful taxidermists are using odd materials like sawdust, wood, things of that nature. Um, so the animal structures uh, have always been interesting to me, even though taxidermy itself, like cutting up animals, never really fascinated me as much as just seeing a diorama with weird shit because the understructures of taxidermy are really cool. Uh, Basically, whatever's around me, my previous studio had uh, a value village right next door to me. So a lot of people think that this is a donation, but half of the donations are like trash. So any kind of wooden furniture, I just turn into something that was basically referential of my childhood, which is odd you know, taxidermy understructures, but in this, rather than using sawdust or wire or wood, I'm using broken, busted up furniture, which is a practical thing because the actual materials are inexpensive and they're cool and I have to work with them to figure out how I'm going to turn them into an animal. Um, I think I might have gone off topic, but that's pretty much how those things came into being. Yeah, no, I, I, I can definitely see some of the reference material that you use, but I'm kind of in the same place where I'm not really into taxidermy, but the what some of your creations are almost more bizarre and odd than to me would be, you know, a, a, a dead animal or an animal you were trying to preserve um, in a good way. There's one right there. Hey there, fella. <laughs> Does he have a name? But yeah, the two with being 
still kind of caught up in young person stuff like seeing dinosaurs or dioramas it's more like an al amalgamation of creatures uh creature nests that i'm kind of trying to hit so it's like you can imagine this thing moving and being in some sort of surreal quote-unquote natural environment and as long as it kind of captures that story of an animal moving through a surreal space like in some sort of a post-apocalyptic world where garbage comes to life you know it's fun to daydream about so i came in contact with you after you made a post on instagram about the contemporary up in atlanta you're you're based out of atlanta right yes right on and that's can you tell me a little bit about that um exhibit and how you tapped into it yeah so it goes back into although atlanta contemporary is a museum and they show work that's kind of understood in a museum context. I am usually just hired on with them for that uh, creative place development, creative space making thing. So when they want to throw an insane party for uh, basically fundraising for the year, which is their art party, they'll call on me because they know I can do something uh, that's spectacle based that still has one foot in fine art but also one foot in like this just looks like a, a lot of fun at a party um i've been working with them for about 10 years i dj'd with them about 10 years ago and i brought in these crazy inflatables just for fun and they're like oh this guy should actually do installations every year so it kind of became that right on did you do something at laney for marcus's marcus kenny's show I did yeah 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 uh laney uh and marcus it's such a cool vibe yeah uh one of my friends george long also an amazing artist is uh goes way back with marcus and he was i guess doing this kind of like fun house thing and i have these two giant inflatables uh that are humanoid forms and he just asked me to bring them out and i i brought them out for that so it, it's very comparable to atlantic contemporary where I'm aiding in the spectacle of perhaps the opening or a party uh, in that kind of context as being a feature, not so much being like, oh, here's my plaque on the wall and this is my piece that you look at in the museum, if that's making sense. Yeah, definitely. Were yours the, the two giant, like two-story white skull-like heads? At Marcus's oh, yeah. show. At Marcus's show? Yeah, those were, uh, I was, I received a grant um, from Annie here in Atlanta and they're kind of tech based or at least tech influence. So I got these projections. So I just made glitched out uh, skull faces, which seemed to be uh, on brand for the party. Yeah, it was definitely um, a good addition to the outside space for sure. Yeah, and, and the thing that's nice is that, you know, the future is going to be even more augmented than it is now. So projections and inflatables and, you know, it, it's odd because like there's nothing there that you couldn't see, like say in the internet or through augmented reality, but in real life, people that maybe aren't so uh, savvy on their phones can see a projection of light on a physical surface. That's just surreal. So it's, it's odd how just these two worlds are going to continue to connect. Um, so subconsciously I'd imagine I'm reaching on that kind of thing. Like there's this synthetic 
object that's very geometric in form and then this glitched out image put on top of it in front of a forest so yeah and the you know, scale also made it um a lot more interesting too because you have these giant things that you know larger than life and it just kind of gave it a little bit of an extra you know sense of a weird reality Oh, I, t I totally agree. That That's the thing that's really interesting when you have something with human scale kind of taken into consideration. Um, there was once a professor that said, if you can't do something too good, just make it big. And <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Well, this could be just a doll on a table. But what if you took this generic doll and blew it up to 15 feet tall? Uh, it's like pretty amazing and kind of hilarious and monolithic. Like it hits all the notes when it goes really big. And a little scarier. You know, and a little scary, yeah. Fear's doll. in there too. Yeah. Can you talk about yeah. <laughs> the, can you talk about the materials that you use to make the inflatables? Um, do you make them yourself yeah, so, or do you hire that other people to make them? Yeah, so it's it's kind of a two part thing. Um, so like I use uh, what's called polytubing for regular, uh, really long serpentine, like thousand foot uh coils that almost look like intestines or something and that i'll just put together how i want uh i've realized that tape is the best way i used to weld the actual plastic together with a heat sealer but that's just too much work and the seals actually break um so there's that part which is just like a quick and dirty way of putting together this insane plastic experience the other part is i've found uh contractors that i work with in china and I'll send them digitized images about what I want to do, knowing that, you know, the material doesn't like straight lines, for instance, and it likes to be simple and you have to imagine it being blown up. So now I'll make uh, stuff in uh, Oculus. I'll use my Oculus um, in Gravity Sketch and just kind of form out these things in the virtual world, knowing that somebody on the uh, back end in reality is going to be sewing them together. What's the material that that cloth is it? Oh, and that that material, yeah. So there's polytubing, which is the plastic. Right. Uh, there's visqueen, which is painter's tape. But of course, you know, when you're in an art context, uh, fishing line isn't fishing line; it's monofilament. So it. it's not painter's plastic; <laughs> it's visqueen. And uh, with the actual inflatables, that's called. Uh, let me see here: polyurethane nylon, I believe. Uh, okay. It's the same thing that parachutes are made out of. Wow. And okay. hot air balloons. Yeah. That's cool. Does duct tape have a sexy name too that I don't know about? Because I'm What's sure that? I've used that. I said, does duct tape have an awesome name too that you could, that we could throw out there that, that I can use when <laughs> I'm putting my stuff together? Yeah. It's, it's always, I love it. Like in the art world, it's always like spin doctoring. Uh, it's not a warehouse that's falling apart. It's a, uh, artist loft. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't work at a gas station. I'm a tra petroleum transport engineer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, I'm I'm interested in the in the tech part of it too. So you were saying um, some of the creation is done through Oculus. So Oculus, that would be the um, the viewing apparatus for for VR, uh, correct? It, and then yeah, it's amazing. And then gravity sketch. I'm not familiar with that, and that may be that something that that I should be. What 
is that just uh, the front end to build the geometry for whatever you're going to be viewing in Oculus? Exactly. So there's a lot of different just kind of maybe more spectacle to show off the Oculus. Like, oh, you can, you know, throw your hands up and make fireworks or paint on a wall. Um, Gravity Sketch kind of works like how Illustrator works, where you're able to uh, make motions with your hands that create lines and shapes, and they're all on points. So they can be infinitely scaled one way or the other. Like you could 3D print it super small, or you can go really big, like in my case, and it turns into an inflatable. Um, it's very rudimentary uh, as far as what it can do with the Oculus. Um, but if you're familiar with software like Rhino or SketchUp, which is 10 million times uh, more complex and counterintuitive, but you can do a lot with it. Mm -hmm. uh, SketchUp is just this great way of doing fast and dirty, useful um, 3D virtual mockups. Cool. Yeah, good to know. What are some so things? So it's that great you... for inflatables, but if you were designing something really uh, top notch, you might want to use, I guess, SketchUp or Rhino. Right. What are some things that you're working on now that you would be interested or that it's okay to share? Um, wow. Um, it's interesting because like being in these kind of places naturally it becomes kind of political because I'm working uh, with developers in space and I'm also looking for usually grants for people that are trying to revitalize or pay respect to the community. Um, so the, the political side has gotten really interesting to me. So basically right now I spend a lot of my time connecting the dots and figuring out how art-friendly organizations can fund uh, different projects while utilizing art as, uh, I guess, a means to better a space. Um, so that part's really interesting to me uh, because that really sets up a canvas about what you can or cannot do right so like for instance i'm working on a a uh inflatable right now for an experience that's happening but the part that's really interesting is is the background so you have to figure out like what the experience is how it benefits the community and like the five different people that you can convince to give you money in order for it to happen um that's the one thing that I think a lot of creatives uh, mistake is that there's a lot of creativity out there, but connecting the dots so you can actually manifest these things in reality uh, are what actually makes things get done. So I would say that, yeah, I'm interested in South Downtown Atlanta and the organizations that are popping up in order to make it a better place for the whole entire universe, hopefully. Can you like unpack that or to talk about that? A little more because this podcast is focused on emerging artists and we're just trying oh, to share news that or stories that are you know helping each other out kind of thing but me personally that's the crossroads that i'm sitting at where i'm trying to learn more about the politics the funding you know for emerging artists or new artists out in the scene how did you get into that community i guess to get things rolling for you so, I mean, by nature, like I was raised, my dad worked in a steel mill, um, but he always had to like connect dots between really well-to-do uh, fabricators and people that like 
build out the steel mill and uh, the jobs that need to get done, the labor. So like just connecting these dots, he was always in this odd space of middle class where you're dealing with really, really well to do and people that just like work with their hands until they fall off for a living. Um, so it's just naturally in my blood to communicate with those different sides, like people that are rough and dirty and know how to build things. And then people that are, that have so much disposable income that need an excuse to spend it and do good. So it's really odd. I just think that I found myself in it just genuinely being interested in every type of person and find out what's the best return on investment for us all to know each other, um, knowing fully that that stitching involves money, space, and creativity. Uh, these are very generic, but they kind of apply to every system. So if you're based in Atlanta and there's certain needs, like uh, there's this place called Center for Atlanta Progress, who I'm going to uh, talk with right after you guys, uh, basically everybody in the neighborhood here has to pay a certain amount of dues for cultural revitalization. And in order to do that, you have to have like either experiences or something like that, which is usually long hanging fruit and inexpensive to produce, but has a, a big return. And then there's of course, infrastructure stuff like actually building buildings or sidewalks or bike lanes. So you just have to realize that all these things are connected. And if you're a creative, um, you can find a way that maybe they're not looking for a sculpture, but they are looking for bike racks. How do you make a bike rack a cool creative experience while you use the funding that's meant to make the city a better place. So um, that's always what I suggest to any kind of artist is really pay attention to what your city needs and the, the art friendly money, whether that be business, nonprofits, government institutions that they can talk to directly like a real person and deliver something that's culturally uh, helpful to whatever a city is trying to do. So at the beginning of your efforts, you, I'm assuming you probably didn't have a, a lot or did you have a lot of material that you could start selling or selling or proposing to the city? Yeah, that's the thing. It, it's definitely a learning curve because you have to learn how to speak proposal. Yeah. <laughs> and proposal uses a lot of the same words I'm using right now, like, community right so you have mm. to think about what the community needs are or what is blighted and how to make it a better place and what that thing is uh usually you know cities that are falling apart or in my case uh underground atlanta where i'm i'm currently uh working it was pretty apocalyptic um so anything you add to it is going to benefit uh the community at large so you just have to find out what those things are and hopefully it, it tickles someone enough to be like, oh, that's cool. Um, but the one thing to always keep in mind with any artist writing a proposal is, especially if you've gone through art school, don't use any art school speak. You have to learn how to talk normal person. Yeah, that makes So sense. you have to think about, yeah, you talk normal person because the islands that we went to school on are islands. And we can say juxtaposition till our heads are blue, but nobody in the real world knows what that means right. so you have to do a one sentence summary like i'm making a giant inflatable for inner for people to interact with 
uh, that celebrates the community. You know, not obviously you want to put a little bit more pizzazz on it, but don't go into juxtaposition this or referencing uh, Jeff Koons that. Nobody knows what you're talking about. This seems also like... It's a long-term endeavor, right? I mean, this is this is a commitment oh, totally. that you've made. That as a facilitator, you're also an artist. Most most artists also don't or aren't inherently good at speaking contract or proposal. <laughs> um, and to me, it's just to be in the space that you're in. That's requires somebody that that's good at wearing many hats not only do you have to know where to look or at least to start to look for funding or opportunities and then and then you have to you know obviously you're not doing you're you're probably also finding work that's going to be shared not just with you as the artist but other people as well that you feel would be a good fit is that is that sound true exactly like i yeah. So like, I like obviously making my own visions come into play, but also I've dropped my ego. Um, and I like seeing, uh, creatives thrive. So if I have the ability to connect money to X, Y, and Z artists, that's appropriate for this project. I'm super happy. And I celebrate in their accolades, even though they might be the, the hero, um, of the day, I'm happy being that support mechanism for anybody around me. Um, and then in turn, usually if you help a buddy out, they'll help you out. Um, but as far as all this, like learning how to speak and knowing how to protect yourself, um, you know, you find yourself in situations where you don't even know that you're supposed to protect yourself. Like for instance, um, are you guys familiar with the phrase, what, what in the butt? No, (laughs) I have seen the video though. Well, good thing. Um, so that's also me. I uh, do music production and songwriting. So that became a viral video before people even used that language. So I did not know how to protect myself financially when that happened. So I had to learn a crash course into what I was basically owed so that the next time any of that kind of thing came around, it wasn't me getting exploited for creative output it was me being respected uh if that makes any sense but yeah i've done full-on podcasts about what went in the butt so it's just a small like little thing to throw in there of being like when you put something out there you don't know if lightning is going to strike and you might get the shit beat out of you hard but learn from that and then apply it to whatever other things that you're doing and this i'm assuming this also goes back to a comment that you made a few minutes ago about um making spaces kid proof and drunk proof um i'm sure there are a lot of a lot of considerations that a lot of artists don't take uh, or don't understand until they're you know in the mix and and making things in a public manner right or for public consumption yeah like a lot of times you know you don't even know what kind of insurance you might need to carry a lot of times spaces put the um, insurance on you and that can be kind of sucky and exploitative, meaning you might not even know you're supposed to have insurance for your sculpture, but that means if your sculpture falls on somebody and hurts them, it's on you. But if you're in a space and the insurance is covered under the space 
and the sculpture falls on somebody, then it's the liability of the space. So it, it gets really hairy and knowing what to look for uh, with how you're protected. Um, in general, nobody, I hope, uh, wants to hurt anybody. So you just have to kind of play by the rules knowing full well, like, for instance, when my inflatable was in Art Basel, uh, I had to have proof that it was fire retardant uh, material. And I had never even been like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. I've never had to deal with that before. So, yes, this is fire retardant material. It's, you know, POS 934 whatever, which is uh, will melt at like 200 degrees or something. But other than that, it's fine. So you those things you kind of just take um, as they come, but don't uh, let them stop you from from doing the festival or working uh to show your stuff around that's good good to know um and i'm i'm sure this learning part of it is never i mean things change all the time so you're you're learning things as you go but um i was hoping to maybe shift gears a little bit i know you're along with the visual artist you said something about djing and I've seen a couple of yeah. things that I noticed online too that had um, a musical angle to it. What, how, what is music? Um, how does that play into your practice? So uh, as I've gotten older, I'm more like I listen to podcasts, um, and uh, so like as far as music understanding, I'm more like fit it for any kind of environment. Um, but it, when I was DJing, I basically became that because people would pay me for having a PA and then stand behind it and then just play the music. It's And that was fun because I love music. But, you know, to add some sort of theatrical experience about it, because I don't see myself as a quote unquote good DJ or professional DJ. It just so happened to be something I was getting paid to do. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm not sure if it was just a one venue um, occurrence, but it was a some kind of a variety show that you were doing. <laughs> uh, was it same same? Was that it, or is that something? Oh yeah, else? Uh, yeah. So same same is kind of a pop up uh, project where I uh, learned my adultish art world in Milwaukee and we used to do these weird performances called performance night. So it's an off the wall kind of, uh, John Waters asked, uh, what the fuck experience and that's same, same like. was something I wanted. Yeah. It's what I wanted to bring to, um, Atlanta, seeing if people would get behind it. Um, and they did, it was a good time, but maybe not as, uh, fruitful as it was in Milwaukee. Uh, but basically, yeah, it's it's a way that you have 10 minutes or less to do something on a theme, and it's usually within the performance art kind of vernacular, but it's really a catch-all of anything that anybody wants to do for 10 minutes or less. And that was also, I believe, at the Atlantic Contemporary. Got you. So is that something you also plan to revisit at some time, or has that uh, been there, done that kind of thing? It gets really exhausting. So as I've gotten older, it's more return on investment. Um, I'm very interested in those ideas, but to book 10 different acts and make sure as creatives, they all show up on time 
and have something to present and they don't cancel on you. It's a kind of a thankless task uh, to put those together. I'm all about it. If somebody else uh, does the, uh, the cat wrangling. Gotcha. Being producers, not probably not all it's cracked up to be. No, it's not. It's like the guy that really wants to just shred on guitar that ends up becoming a booking agent because he can't do both. <laughs> Did you participate in that as well, or did you? Were you just the? Uh... Yeah, I host it, and I do usually like an intro or an outro to get people amped up and to close down shop, just to frame it out a little bit. Um, but usually, it's just a way for me to showcase my fun, weird friends. Gotcha. Well, I know your time's valuable, Mike, and I um, want to respect that. So. Is there any other like projects that you want to talk about for the upcoming foreseeable future or anything that you wanted to promote, I guess? Um, not so much. I guess I'll just throw out a general call to anybody that may be listening, and that means you two as well. I'm always down to continually work on different projects, and the best way to learn about myself and how to better uh, other people, maybe, hopefully, uh, is just to kind of see what fits. So if our moons are in alignment and you got a weirdo idea, uh, let's see if we can find space and financing to make it happen. If somebody wanted to give their proposals to you, how would they, can you just give your email one more time? Oh yeah, I would say I'm probably worse with email, but they can definitely IG, send probably. me, um, yeah, IG. Right on. Uh, and that way too, because it's you know it's got your portfolio many times built into it, but it's extremely underscore Michael cool. on Instagram. And you know, just hit me up, come visit me if you're in Atlanta, and it all starts with just a conversation. Because um, ideas are great and plentiful. Uh, it's more just like how someone works, uh, what their motivation is, and. Um, yeah, if it's going to be a, a good time. Yeah, good chemistry. So, you know, that that's that's one thing I've learned, too, as I've gotten older. It's not so much what, it's how people go about their uh, creative pursuits. And if it makes sense for um, me to work with them, then we'll go all out and do something awesome. Cool. And uh, do you t keep a regular schedule at the underground space there? Or is this just, you know... Is it open, you know, during the week or on the weekends or how does that work? Yeah, I'm, I'm planning to do a, a grand reopening uh, on Black Friday in November. So the first three weeks, I'm going to try to work out those actual uh, details um, to the best of my ability. But there's at least two programs a week on uh, usually Fridays and Saturdays because that's when all the party kids want to go out and party. Uh, but then throughout the week, like tomorrow, I've got uh, this great contemporary dance group called Fly in a Wall that's going to be coming through. So really, it, it's uh, an event-based place uh, with any kind of meetings sewn into it uh, while I'm here. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds like a great destination, a great place to um, to experience new things. And, and, uh, and hopefully we get to come out and, and meet you in person. Yeah, and that that's kind of the reason to do anything, right? Is to like just connect people on a human level and uh, have a good conversation and kill some time before we all die. <laughs> oh boy, <laughs> that, 
sounds like a good way to end it. Right on, Mike. Thanks for your time. <laughs> thank you, Mike. Hey, uh, thank you all. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. We now have a Patreon page that allows you to financially support the show. To make a donation, please visit thetenframe.podbean.com. If you would like to learn more about a particular person in the art world, reach out to us on Instagram at the 10 frame.